joining us together, or joining together with us, I suppose. Before I begin, I do have another announcement. Some of you may have noticed, if you know this particular old man and lady, that Grandma, Grandpa Farrell and Granny Green are smiling more this morning than they normally have been for a little while. Because, guess what? Josh and Sherry are going to have another green. Stand, y'all. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Now, don't you know that's politically correct? The more green we have, the, it's... it's uh, that was supposed to be funny. Thank you. <clears throat> well, let's move along this morning. Let's be opening our Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 4. And you remember where we are. Moses is out in the wilderness, tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, minding his own business, taking care of his personal and business needs as a man is supposed to do. But you see, the purpose of God has other plans sometimes to interrupt those personal and business needs. Isn't it interesting that God is not on the same calendar and doesn't think the same way we do concerning the activities of our lives? And aren't you glad about that? And so he's out there and he sees a bush that's burning. Now, let's face it, burning bushes in the desert is not uncommon. <clears throat> These things just all of a sudden explode into fire and they burn and few minutes, they're all disintegrated. But here's a bush that <laughs> comes alive with fire. Okay, fine, there's a bush over there. Moses is doing his work, and he looks again. Man, it's taking that bush a long time to burn. But you know, okay, it's a big bush. And I don't know how many glances he had to have, but there finally came a time, wait a minute. This is not, not the natural thing. This bush is burning and it is not being consumed. Aren't you glad Moses is curious? God uses the natural, I need to go see what's going on here. And so he turns aside and he comes to this bush and he hears the summons of God. Moses, Moses, take off your shoes from off your feet for the ground upon which you stand this is holy ground. And God presents himself to Moses and begins to speak to him. And he tells Moses, I've heard the affliction of my people, and I am going to deliver them. Heaven has just spoken it. And so I'm going to send you. Now you see, Moses is probably okay with everything. God is finally going 
to deliver the people. It's only been 430 years, but thank you. He's going to do it. Moses is fine with that, I'm assuming. I'd be fine with that. Church needs volunteers. The church needs this. The church needs that. We're having work days. We need people here. We need people there. Giving. I'm, I'm fine with that. But then, what does God say next? I'm sending you. Everything in a moment changes for Moses. Now, let's be real. How many of us have ever been confronted by God, whether personally or through one of the pastors or one of the workers or in some way, in some way, and said, you know, I'd like you to volunteer to teach. I'd like you to go over there and to witness. I'd like you to give this up and to go in this direction. And how many of us know, uh, what'd you say? We begin to become concerned, fearful, anxious. Is this real? I mean, have any of you experienced this since you've been saved? Anybody here that God has asked you, led you in any way that you were kind of like, I don't know about that. I remember several years ago and even now, when we have approached husbands and wives to become covenant group leaders. <laughs> That's what you're hearing from them. I don't think any of them says, yep, I'm the man. I've been waiting for you to call me. I can do this. I'm ready to go. You want me to do what? With whom? For how long? Don't you understand that this is going to be twice a month all the work. Don't you know my schedule? Fear. And I think Moses is fine until all of a sudden he hears this and everything changes inside Moses. And this morning we're going to look at that as we go into chapter 4. Because in chapter 4, we've already heard in chapter two, uh, 3, two objections. This morning we're going to look at the next three. Father, Father, our flesh is always going to object to your leading. You know that. We know that. Satan knows that. So, Father, the issue this morning is not that we should not object. Because our flesh should. The issue this morning is will we trust you? Will we obey you? So that by your spirit, our flesh, our natural man, is put under the control and the leadership of your spirit. Father, minister to us today. Jesus' name, amen.
as we look into this conversation in chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to learn at least three things. First of all, and primarily and mostly important, is the marvelous deference of God to walk with Moses through his objections, through his resistance, in order to bring him to the place of obedient effectiveness. It reminds me of a verse that all of us have heard. Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. This is where Moses is in his feelings and his emotions. It's as if he's in the valley of death. This is how probably most of us are when we are encountered by God as to the issues of our lives and what we're doing and where we're going and how we're doing it and et cetera, et cetera. But this morning, we want to look at the marvelous mercy, patience, forbearance, kindness of God in the midst of our fear. Secondly, I want to look at some of the results, the wonderful results of God's persistent grace. And third, we want to know this, that holy ground is the ground of God's love and of his blessings. So let's remember what has happened. Moses has turned aside. He's turned aside from his daily and professional duties. Moses is not a man who says, well, you don't understand. I can't do that because of these three things that are going on in my life. I can't do that because of this issue and that issue. Today, I believe one of the most effective weapons of Satan against the church and against the purposes of God in us and against us being able to more fully embrace and experience the goodness, mercy, the presence of our God, which is more important than anything in this world, is our busyness. I'm just too busy. We're supposed to be busy, but the moment we become too busy to do the call of God, we are too busy. Our business as believers is the Father's business, and every other business is to be subjected to underneath our father's business. I know that's extreme and radical, but God is more important than our business. Is he to you and is he to me? So Moses turns aside, and in chapter 3, as I said, he's already given two objections, and this morning we join the conversation in the next three objections, and we do that. Again, mostly to see and to make note of God's persistent grace. 
in the face of Moses' persistent resistance. Because I want us, I, I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to see ourselves in Moses. And to see the supremacy and the glory of God and the all-sufficiency and the superiority of God's way over our ways. So let's turn to chapter 4, verse 1. Moses' third objection. And the word of the Lord says in verse 1. Then Moses says, but, but. How many times is that our reaction to the call of God in our lives in many areas. But, but, but behold, they will not believe me nor listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord didn't appear to him. Who's he? Who's Peter Davidson that you should listen to what he has to say? So what is God's reply? Verses 2 to 9. Read along with me. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, my staff. And the Lord said, throw it down on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. Isn't it interesting? Moses was less afraid of grabbing a snake than he was in walking out in ministry. And grab it by his, he grabbed it by his hand, that they may believe that Yahweh, the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. This is how Israel is going to know that you are speaking and leading in my name. And again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hands was leprous like snow. And the Lord said, put back your hand inside your cloak. And so he put it back inside the cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. What is God doing? Moses says, no. Oh, I know he didn't say no by saying no. He just explained to God what God obviously did not understand. I mean, you know, God doesn't know things that are going on in our lives. He doesn't get the stress that we're under. He doesn't understand the demands of our life. He doesn't realize that we have to make money to keep on going in life. He doesn't get it that we can't give a tithe because our budget doesn't allow for it. You see, God doesn't get these things. He needs to be helped. Don't many of us help God in prayer? Come on. Am I the only one who does this? 
Moses doesn't say, no way. I'm not doing it. We're slicker than that, you see. But what is God doing? You know what God could have done? I'll get somebody else now. (laughs) The next guy, yeah, I'm here, I'm here, I'm ready to go. I'm, yes, indeed, anything you want. Aren't we glad God doesn't us when we object? So what does the Lord do? He gives him three signs. I'm not going to go into the signs. That's a whole thing in itself, perhaps. But the sign of God's authority over the enemy. I'm sending you. You're going to have authority. The sign of God's personal provision for his maintenance as a man his physical needs, the hand inside. And then third, the sign of God's power. You see, Moses, I am giving you everything necessary for life and godliness. Have we heard that in 2 Peter chapter 1? How many of us believers in this room do not believe that we have been fully equipped by God? Since you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. Is there anything in or about the Holy Spirit that is deficient in our ability to embrace and effectively walk in the call of God? Is there anything lacking in the Holy Spirit? God has given us even much more than he gave Moses. He has given us of himself to reside in us. Moses' fourth objection, verse 10. But, there we go again, you see. Yeah, these three signs are great, but. Do you hear? Do you hear me? Do you hear yourself? But, Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I don't know how to speak very well. I'm not like Pastor Keith who was filled with words and words and words and words and words. <laughs> I am not like that. I'm not eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow speech and tongue. I I don't do well. I don't formulate my conversation. I, I, I get nervous before people. I can't go do that because I'm shy. I don't know what to say. I get nervous, so send Peter. He's always talking about somebody to somebody about something. Peter Davidson's the guy you need to send. He's got the mouth. I don't have it. Listen to God's response. Then the Lord said, who's made your mouth? Who made your mouth? Who makes a person mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I... Yahweh, the Lord. Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say or to speak. Whatever your condition, whatever your place, whatever your situation, whatever is happening, whatever is the contest here, whatever is the opposition, no matter whom you're speaking to, what the context is, what the, 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 uh, the content is, no matter what, no matter what, God says, 
I will be speaking through you. Remember these words of Jesus in Matthew 10, 19? And he tells the disciples, you know, in those days, you're going to have a whole lot of trouble. And they're going to arrest you. And you're going to be going before governors and kings. Well, the application is broader because we're going to be called to go before all kinds of folks. You know, especially that relative. How many of us have that relative? You know what I mean? Anybody have that relative? I can't go to that person. You know how much he or she, what they will say, what he will do. Or I can't go speak to somebody like that. You know how intelligent, how many degrees. I don't have, I can't. Oh, really? Jesus says this. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you're going to speak or what you're going to say. For what you are going to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Years ago, A.J. Deshari. How many of you know A.J. Deshari? A.J., where are you? A.J., stand up. You are standing? Oh, <laughs> he was standing. Sorry about that. First of all, A.J., as I've said before, can beat anybody in basketball in this place. Anybody, anytime he'll meet you. So A.J. was telling me, and I may get some of the facts up, you know, mixed up because I'm a man and all you women know how much we get the facts mixed up. He said, I was sharing with somebody. And I don't know how the conversation began. You remember telling me this? And he said, out of my mouth came words that I didn't even realize I had. Am I right about that? And you were what? Blown away. Not because of how great you are or what you knew, but this was like a well of water coming up deep within him. That the Holy Spirit, because A.J. attends Sunday school and church and reads his word and studies and prays, yes! If there ain't nothing there, what is it going to bring forward? And A.J. was blown away. He couldn't believe it. Who is that person? What has that person done? What kind of a personality does that person have? What kind of intelligence, riches? God is greater. Can you say amen? The fifth objection, here it is. Here's the bottom line. But, again, every objection of Moses has a but in it. Oh, my Lord, please send somebody else. I don't want to go. This time now, the Lord becomes a little miffed and angry with Moses. But even in the Lord's anger, he doesn't Moses away. Even when the Lord is angry with Moses, God's mercy and love still rules the day. Okay. I understand you don't want to go. 
I understand you don't talk well. You didn't know my name. You weren't self-assured enough. I understand that. God's response, 14 to 16. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. You notice the word of God, the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. And he shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. Moses isn't going to have to go alone. He's going to have his brother. He's going to have company. Now, did you notice something? Did you notice the dynamic here? When Moses said, no, Was God already prepared? I can't hear you. Yeah. God's already prepared for Moses. No. You see, he's our front guard. He's our rear guard. Isaiah calls God our rear guard. He's in front of us. He's behind us. He's on each side of us. He's under us and he's over us. We are encapsulated in the spirit of God. So when Moses says no, God's already prepared. Tony, Aaron is already on his way. Aaron is already, he didn't say, well, okay, Moses. All right, let's talk about, you you got a brother? Yeah, you have a brother? Okay, you got a brother. He can speak. Let me call your brother. Why don't you call him? Aaron is already on the way. As they're speaking, Aaron is approaching. What does this say to us about this God of ours? We're not taking him off guard, catching him off guard. He is walking with us in the midst of all of this contest as one who already knows and is already prepared and has already made provision for the accomplishment of his will through us. Don't you ever think that you did something or going to do something or whatever that God is not already ahead of you? He's already on the other side of you. You see, God had already made provision for Moses' weakness before Moses even knew he had a weakness. Praise God, praise God, praise God. He had already made provision for all of Moses' weaknesses even before Moses knew he had any weaknesses so what do we learn we've learned that God's grace is utterly and is ever present for us and with us even in the face of our reluctance and our resistance and in our fears Can you remember that? Our fears, our reluctance, and our resistance does not stymie or put off God's grace. It just continues to prove our need 
and God's supply. Now, does that mean we should purposefully be resistant? Well, you know, Paul says in Romans 6, does that mean we should continue to sin, that grace may abound? He says, metanoia, may it never be. But when we are this way with our God, we need to have a better understanding of who he is and what he's going to do in his response to us. You see, knowing this, we should be encouraged now to come onto the holy ground of God's presence to be received by him. This should encourage us. Now, let's face it. God knows our every weakness. Remember what Psalm 103, 14. For God knows our frame. He remembers that we are but what? Dust. How many of you believe that God is not fully aware of everything about you? Anybody in here think you have something hidden? And that when something comes up or when something's divulged or you do something, like, oh, he's never caught off guard. He's never surprised. He knows everything. Now, we may not be comfortable with God knowing absolutely, comprehensively everything about us. But we should. Why? Because everything that God knows about us, he has forgiven us. Therefore, are we glad that he knows us comprehensively? Can you say amen? Yes. Thank you, Lord. There's nothing hidden from your sight. Oh, God, thank you that my sin, my attitude, my personality, my practice doesn't surprise you and throw you off. Thank you for that. It doesn't make you quit. It doesn't make you wring your hands. It causes you to move more persistently in the face of my weaknesses and sin. You see, God has already dealt with our greatest weakness. Remember what Romans 5, 8 says? In this is the love of God that while we were yet sinners, condemned and under the wrath of God, alienated from him, while we were in that condition, Christ died for us. Our greatest need, our greatest weakness, our greatest deficit, our greatest whatever has been dealt with successfully at the cross of Jesus Christ, was buried when he was buried, and in his resurrection, a new man has been raised in us by the Spirit that we are now reconstituted as new people. The biggest problem has been dealt with. All these others, if you would allow me to say so, are purely incidental. Not meaning that they don't mean anything, but in relation to our biggest problem. And if God, and since God has dealt with our biggest problem, what are we fearing about all the other stuff? And so if we could come to God for our salvation, assured that he would save us, then we still in fact, more so should be able to come to God with all of our weaknesses and with our frailties and with our reluctance and with our fears and say, Father, here it is. Here I am. You know it all. Bless me. Bless me. Bless me.
with your grace. You see, God, who knows us all, often defers to our weaknesses in order to encourage and equip equip us. But he defers to our weaknesses only for a season. There comes a place where he says, I've done what I need to do. But you don't want to get to that place because then there's discipline and correction that an adjustment. Ours is to go before God and receive his encouragement and equipping in the midst of this conversation and to leave to say, Father, you're right. You're right. You see, the Lord never does demand from us what we do not have or what we cannot do. He doesn't do it. His purpose is to reveal our need so we will look to him who meets every need with his grace. He's not telling you to go to speak to somebody because you're shy. He's telling you to go to speak to someone because he wants to use you and he will overcome your shyness. He's not put off by those weaknesses. See, this is why God called Moses onto the holy ground to work with Moses' weaknesses in order to encourage and equip Moses to deliver Israel from Egypt. This is why Moses was called. God knows that all this is going to happen. He says, Moses, come up here because I need you to know who I am. Because knowing who I am, you will begin to know who you are. And knowing who you are in relation to who I am, then you're going to allow me to equip you with my presence to do anything and everything that I've called you to do. You see, the issue and the problem is never with our weaknesses. If it were, God would never have saved any of us. So can we get past this issue? But, but, the issue is never with our weaknesses. The issue is with our lack of trusting and asking for his overcoming grace in the midst of our weaknesses. That's that's where God is on this. Remember James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, and if you've ever talked to me for more than a few minutes, you know, I lack wisdom. My wife can tell you that. I lack wisdom. He says, ask God. And he will give generously to all without upbraiding. Oh, why are you doing that? You shouldn't be doing that. Why aren't you doing this? Okay, I'll give you wisdom. He's not like that. He loves to pour into us to prove his strength and our weaknesses. So don't be shy about this. This is his glory to be manifested in his, our weaknesses, his power. But Jen James says, but let him ask in faith without doubting. See, the Apostle Paul learned this. Remember the Apostle Paul? I mean, here you have Moses suffering from self-insufficiency and Paul suffering from self-sufficiency. What was the problem? Which one's more bad, if you can say it? Which one's badder? Well, both of them are just two ends of the same thing. 
both men needed to be equipped with Christ's sufficiency rather than anything of self. If you think that what you're doing, where you're going, something about yourself, and you put yourself in the middle of this, you're not going to do that well. It's Christ. Can the God and will the God who calls us into these various issues of life, can he and will he equip us with himself? Yes. Otherwise, he would never have called. And so Paul says this, three times I pleaded about getting this weakness out of me. Get this out of me. I don't want to be shy. I don't want to be fearful. I don't want to be this. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be an angry person. I don't want to be filled with lust. I don't want to be jealous. I don't want to please. The Lord says, you know, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made manifested in the weakness. Sin has the opportunity to grow in weakness. But also, grace has the opportunity to grow in our weakness. Now, each of us knows we all have Moses-type reluctance and resistance. But you know what? We also have the God of Moses who lovingly encourages and equips us. Amen? How many of us know we're like Moses? Aren't we like Moses? That's not the issue. It's not the problem. We also have the God of Moses. We also have his presence with us. You know, when we speak of holy ground, holy ground. And I'm not trying to be funny, and I'm not trying to be irreligious. Holy ground is holy, awe, even fearful in some ways. We tremble. But holy ground is is not dangerous ground if we are believers and are coming in faith to receive from God. You see, holy ground is not only not dangerous, it is the opposite. It is the safest and most rewarding ground that we can come on to when the Lord says, come on, I want to talk to you. I want to give you this. I want you to do that. I want you to go there. I want you to say that. I want you to be this way. The danger is I'm not getting near that thing, and I'm not going there because I know what's going to happen. I refute. That's the danger. Holy ground is always the safest and most rewarding ground. So you see, when the Lord calls each one of us to these encounters with him, we don't need to go like the principal has called us into the office. Ooh. You know, that long hall leading to the principal's office as we're walking down and we're trying to rehearse, what did I do? Let's see, I did this, yeah, but he may not have done it. I, did, I wonder if you found out about that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a fear and a kind of a trembling because of, oh, my word, oh, my word. That's not what holy ground is. See, holy ground is a loving, good, gracious, blessing father saying, come see me. Come see me. Come, let us talk together. Let us spend time together. That's holy ground. That's what holy ground is all about. It's the loving invitation of our Heavenly Father to experience and receive His grace more fully 
That's what holy ground is all about. That's why God is calling you and me into various areas of ministry and activity and giving and whatever and telling us don't do that and don't go there. It's all about experiencing him more personally, more lovingly, more caringly, his tenderness, his kindness, his goodness. That's what it's all about. It's not God trying to take something away from us. It's God giving us something to replace that which has caused his presence not to be fully enjoyed. It's that. We have such a mentality of losing stuff and things. And we need to develop a mentality of gaining, gaining, gaining everything that God has for us in Christ. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 8. You see, holy ground is God's good ground. We were saved on holy ground. We receive grace on holy ground. We receive God's supply for our holy daily walk on holy ground. We are learning and experiencing the ways of God on holy ground. We receive the blessings of ministry to the Lord and to his people on holy ground. We are empowered by the Spirit on holy ground. We are the blessed children of God on holy ground. All of this is because of holy ground. Listen to these encouraging words from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and following. For since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our professional confession. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted such as we, yet without sin. You see, someone has gone through this for us and before us and has done it successfully so what is God's purpose what is the result of this of coming and presenting ourselves before this high priest verse 16 let us then with confidence draw near I will turn aside I will draw near with to the throne of grace his holy ground why that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Last week, Sacco, where are you? Stand up. Last week, Debbie came to church. Debbie been suffering. How do we do this? Debbie had been suffering for two months with mono. And it was debilitating her and causing her not to be able to function almost at all. Am I correct in this? Bedridden for days and days and days. Absolutely drained. We're not talking about a little tired because she stayed up and watched TV last night. But she came last week on holy ground why did she come she came because God is here on holy ground
That's why she came. She came to be with God in the face of a huge physical difficulty. And she tells him, she says, it could go on for another month. And who knows, it could be a relapse. So Debbie hears from God. And the Holy Spirit says to Debbie Sacco, ask for prayer. Oh, I don't want to pray. I don't, you know, those, I, I just don't, nah, nah, yeah. So the Lord says, turn aside and do what I'm asking you to do. So Debbie asked one of the pastors to pray for her. So she was prayed for. She sat down feeling the same way. By that evening, the thing had radically lifted and she is healed. Yes, you may scream. That's right. Thank you. You see, God still meets us on holy ground. He still does his work on holy ground. He still ministers to us on holy ground. Don't be afraid of holy ground. I know a man in this church who came to this city from another city, attended Tulane University Law School, and completing his law school, he joined a law firm. And he had to make a decision. And continuing decisions. And that decision was this. You're going to be an attorney. And you're going to be a good one. But your attorneying, is that how to say it? (laughs) Will not be the primary purpose and issue of your life. Serving me as an attorney, giving of yourself to the church regularly, selflessly, financially. And I'm here to tell you, having been in this church since 1978, that this church is very much what it is because of that man and a few others. Why? Because a man said yes to God even though his intention may not have been that, God said, this is the life I want you to lead. This is the holy ground I want you to walk on. And this man did that. And this church has been blessed because of this. Can you say amen to God? Thank God for people who will come on the holy ground and receive the call of God and do the call of God. Holy ground is good ground. If you were to ask this man, do you have any regrets? He would smile and say, none at all. I know another man who was doing quite well in business. And the Lord brought him onto holy ground. And the Lord said to him, I want you to leave your business, I want you to sell the property. And I want you to come on staff. That man thought it was a joke. He thought it was a joke. Are you kidding? I have a thriving business. I own property. Are you kidding? 
You know how difficult that's going to be? To have such a radical change of life? That man prayed for six months, he and his wife. This was not to be entered into lightly. It was a major change. It was radical. But the problem is, Rob, it was God. The Lord said, do it. And thank God for the deference of God and the mercy and the patience of God. That man said yes. Now, I can't judge the effectiveness of that man. That's God's ministry. And I can't judge the wise wisdom of, that, of God. That's God's choice. But I do know this. I can speak on behalf of that man and say this. That man's life in those almost 25 years has been touched and blessed in greater ways than had he owned 20 businesses. What is that man going to go before the throne of God and say, God, I own a business and I did this and that when the Lord said don't? What are you going to do when you go before God one day and he says, I wanted you to do this. I wanted you to go there. I didn't want you to have that. I wanted you to slow down. I wanted you to give up. I wanted you to stop that. What are we going to say before God one day and we kind of explain to God the economics of the issue? Helping him. You see, standing on holy ground is a lifelong experience. It's a lifelong experience of coming before God, having our weaknesses revealed, having them dealt with through encouragement and equipping and loving care, and then bringing us to a place, hopefully, not all of us say yes, and we all don't say yes all the time, but hopefully the main is to say yes, and then we go out to bless and to be blessed. Where is God's holy ground in our lives? Where is it? Well, holy ground, where where do you find holy ground? It's so ethereal. I mean, holy ground. Holy ground can be found in your daily study of the Word of God. Did you notice this, that all that Moses received and understood was by hearing the voice of God? There were no TV programs in those days, so Moses didn't play any kind of film. This is what I'm going to do. Watch Charlton Heston. That's what you're going to do. He just heard the Word of God. Sandy, that's all he had, was God's verbal communication. All we have is this written book by the Spirit who speaks that book to us verbally. Are you standing on holy ground sufficiently? Are you turning aside in order to receive from God what you desperately need in your life in relation to standing on the holy ground of God's word, or is this just one of those things that you kind of come and take it? 
I dare say that one of the major reasons why their weaknesses and failures and all the stuff that's going on in so many lives is because you lack having come, upon, come onto the holy ground of God's Word. You need, we need to be in the Word of God regularly. And I will say this, and I don't say it because I do the teaching. I don't care who's doing the teaching. We as a church need to be here on Sunday morning at 8.45 to hear the instruction of the Holy Spirit in His Word and then come into this place to receive the ministry of that Word. We need that. You wouldn't allow your children to skip school like that because it has to do with natural success. What about spiritual success? It's holy ground. What about the holy ground of our personal time of prayer? Sitting before the Lord. I went out last night to Ottoman Park and sat out on one of those benches out there. Only one mosquito bit me. I don't know. I, I think it's, it's good that I'm not using deodorant lately. So, well, there's an air about me. So, you had to think about that one, I know. But just sitting there, sitting there, allowing my mind to become in sync with God's mind as I began to think about this, began to think about that, Lord, show me that, and begin to, <gasps> it's better than television. It's better than Disney World. It's better than whatever it is that we have said we can't do it. It's better. That reminds me of the saying, it's better in here than it is out there. It's better. Holy ground is found in our gathering together on Sunday mornings to worship and to be instructed in His ways and in His will. This is holy ground. This is not ground we come into, I mean, hey, how you doing? You wouldn't go into your boss's office like that. We're better dressed for funerals. We're more punctual for funerals. That we're all coming before the holy God himself to give praise and worship and to receive from him all that he has for us. We don't have time anymore. Good night, I was tired. Go tell your boss that you're tired and you're not getting there at 8 o'clock. I'll get there at 9 because I was tired. He'll be tired of you. No, we don't do that. But come to this mighty majesty of God and we say, you can understand it. i got things going on in my life and there are things happening. You just have to wait. It's idolatry, church. I have to fight it just like you do. I have to be equipped just like you do. I have to be encouraged just like you do. I have to be empowered just like you do. It's time that this stop. This church, this physical building here, there should not be an empty chair in this place on Sunday morning. There should not be an empty chair in this church on Sunday morning. 
Why? Because coming before God is more important than anything else in this world. I know there are some reasons why we can't, and we understand that, and we do say, yes, that's fine. But there are mostly reasons why we don't and we shouldn't be like this. And we wonder why our lives and our church and this world and everything is going to hell in a hand, but I don't know why. Come on. It's not because of this holy one. Because of his people's refusal to turn aside. You see, holy ground is found in joining God in the various ministries of his church. Teaching VBS. Being available for Alpha Beta, covenant group leader, witnessing to that person going there. Let me try to quickly summarize. How has holy ground been made available to us? Listen to this. We can enter onto God's holy presence, his holy ground, because... Another man has already stood on holy ground. He stood in our place as our substitute for our sin. We are here today because a man stood on holy ground. In Gethsemane, Jesus entered the holy ground of God's will and wrestled against his own resistance and said yes to the cross. That's why we're here today, because another man faced it all and said yes to God's will. When did Jesus win the victory over his reluctance? When? When he said this, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Those are glorious bells going off in heaven when God hears that from us, Father, Okay, I don't understand. I'm not sure. I have questions. I have some reluctance. But Father, not my will, but your will be done. I'm not going to resist you. I'm going to embrace it. That decision of another man to walk out God's will at the highest price is the reason that we sit here today as God's saved children. Let's stand together on this holy ground. And I want us to take a moment, so please don't turn off, tune out, or whatever. Please hold steady. Hold steady. Let's take this opportunity to lay all our resistances and reluctances and inabilities at the feet of him who loves us. I am convinced this morning as we have spoken that the Holy Spirit has put into your minds into mine as I have spoken for me, into your mind, issues and areas and things that he's been asking you and prompting you and leading you to do. You know what we're talking about today. I don't believe there's a believer here who hasn't had some instruction from the Holy Spirit this morning. That's it, that's it, this is that, what's that? So this morning, let's take a moment to say to us, Father, 
I am no longer going to allow my reluctance, my resistance, my inability, or my whatever to be in your way. Father, I trust you. I know you will work it out. I know you will provide a way. I know you made a way in the wilderness. We heard that word from uh, Taylor this morning, God opening the, uh, the mountain ranges. This is what he does. I know you're going to do it. Father, all I'm going to say, your will be done, and the rest is your issue. I'm going to trust you. Are we at that place? Come tomorrow morning, the enemy will stand against you and, res- and resist. But you're going to have to remember this. That when Joshua and the people of Israel were ready to take Je- uh, Jericho down, in chapter 5, the angel of the Lord stood before Joshua in gleaming armor and a drawn sword. And Joshua says, you force against me. He says, I am the captain of the hosts of the Lord. Take off your shoes from off your feet, for the ground upon which you stand is holy ground. And this mighty angel of God, this theophany of the Lord Jesus, I am the one who's going before you and with you. Let's let's let him turn our reluctance to his will into joyful cooperation. Let's let him turn our fears into faith. Let's let him turn our weaknesses into his strength. Let's let him transform our inabilities into his ability. Let's allow our Heavenly Father to bless us to know and to do his will so that his name may be revered above all names in our lives. Let's ask God this morning to bring to our minds any area of resistance so that we can confess our resistance and embrace his will with assurance that he is with us always even to the close of the age you see all of this is ours as we turn aside from our daily and our professional activities to receive his mercy and find his grace to help in time of need I'm going to close the service in a different way today. I believe the Lord this morning wants to demonstrate to us that if we will do as He leads us to do, that He will be faithful to show us how great He is. So for the issue of physical healings, that's all I want to talk about, physical healings. If there is a physical need in your body, all I want you to do is raise your hand. There's a physical need in your body, just raise your hand. Not everybody's going to, I don't mean have a little twist right now. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about issues. They're issues. Raise your hand. Keep it up. What I'm going to do is ask those around you to pray for you. Just as Debbie Sacco was prayed for last week. And we're going to trust God that he's going to heal. And I'm going to ask you only this one thing. That those of you whom God heals, you notice I didn't say if. Those of you whom God heals because of this time of prayer, would you submit a testimony to us And I want to let the church know next week. Yes, we want to let people know our God still heals and overcomes these things. Amen?
So keep your hand raised. And those who are around these people with the hands raised, hear the voice of God come on the holy ground and by faith and trusting not in what you say and how you can say it, but trusting in the almighty power of a God who heals sin, uh, who heals diseases. Turn now and pray for these folks as Kirk leads us in singing. Pray and the rest of us will sing and trust God. So those around those with hands raised, nobody without somebody praying for them. Somebody go pray. There's fellas back here, hand raised back here. Anybody else, you don't have somebody praying for it. Two fellas over here. Uh, uh, who was that? Mike and uh, 